Actuality, he said, is that which either can bring about things or can be brought about by things. It's something that exists, but only for its potential to change. Now think of the unmoved mover as actuality, that which exists that can bring about things. Think of ourselves as the potentially moved. We can be brought about by him. But there's that other category, potentiality, dunamis. Aristotle said that is the power by which things are changed. Now, dunamis in Scripture is exactly that power. When God comes to live in us, he comes to live as a power that brings about what we were supposed to be. Without that power, we're empty. We're just beings ready to be changed. But with that power, we are brought about. You see, the, the scriptures say that the Holy Spirit is that power. That the gospel is that power. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power, dunamis, of God for salvation. When the Holy Spirit comes, comes in you, and the Holy Spirit is not a thing, it is God himself. It is God himself. When the Holy Spirit comes in you, then you are saved. Then you are alive. Then you have eternal life. The Bible says that after the resurrection, that the instructions were, you shall receive power, dunamis. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and then you shall be my witnesses. You see, we were always meant to inhabit, I'm sorry, to be the sanctuary in which God came and lived and lived out his life through us. That does not make us gods. That does not make us little gods. It simply makes us hosts. It simply makes us that which can reflect God. Without that reflection, we become destructive. We are left to our own. We're simply the, the, the mechanism that begins to turn on ourselves and on each other. You know, one of the grandest characters in all uh, of good literature was a character who became a monster because he could not get his creator's love. In the last chapter of this classic book, this monster cries out, My heart was formed to be susceptible to love and sympathy. And he looks back at his life and how many people he's destroyed and he's filled with guilt and regret. But he realizes it's only because his creator turned away from him. You know who that character is? Frankenstein's monster. You see, in the book, here is one who was not very pretty to look at. And because his creator would not love him, he turned to destruction. Our story is just the opposite. We are not all that pretty to look at either. 
But our creator says, I do love you. I come to live in you. I will fill you. And therefore, you will not have a record of destruction. You will have a record of my character, a record of building up, of giving out. That's how you will live the life you've always yearned to live. You were not made to be empty. You were not made to do it your way. You know, I did it my way. What a ridiculous song. Yeah, through it all. I took the fall and did it my way. How sanctimoniously idiotic. We were meant to house God. Otherwise, we go mad. I mean, literally, this is true. If, if Those of you who have studied psychology know what happens when we are, de are, are deprived Sensory deprivation from the outside. If we can't get the signals from the outside. Some of you have read about the experiments with isolation chambers where people can't see, they can't hear, they can't feel. They have absolutely no input from the outside. You know what happens? In about an hour, they can't concentrate. In several hours, they begin to be anxious. And then they panic. And left to that environment, they will go stark raving mad. Why? Because we were never meant to be left on our own. We were never, never meant to have a life of our own. Just us. No, we were meant to love by being hosts. By reflecting God himself. All of us, would we not, given the choice, would we not want a life like Jesus Christ? I mean, wouldn't you want... To love like he loved? Wouldn't you want to be merciful? To be patient? Wouldn't you want to, to have long suffering and to, to empty yourself? The Bible says he emptied himself. So that he took on the form of a servant. Wouldn't you want to do good like he did good? You know what? You can't possibly do it without him. You can't. How many of you have tried? Say, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm making a resolution. Yep, going to be good. I did that the other day. You know what? I've been, try I've been trying to remind myself for 25 years to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because I know that, that a lot of that's voluntary, you know? It's, it's a present imperative verb tense. And it means it's your responsibility to see to it. You do everything you can to remind yourself to live God's life instead of your own. And after 25 years, I still, I still slip up. The other night, uh, Beck and I, I, I had this big date planned, you know? Got it all. You know how this is. You get it all in your mind. You know, it's going to be perfect. We're going to go out to eat. And then we're going to go to a movie, uh, Jane Austen's Sense and Sensibility. Anybody seen that movie? That's a great movie. So, we, you know, to go into a classic movie. So, go, so get home. You know, she gets back from school. She, of course, she's had a horrendous day at school. And, and uh, or this, not every day is like this, but a particular bad day. I and mean, she's got about ten things she needs to do. And I keep going, eh, don't worry about it. Come on, let's just go out. Let's, I got this great romantic evening. Yeah, I got to get this. Okay, okay. So I'm starting to build up, you know, because my, my expectations have now been dashed, you know. I'm trying, I'm trying to be the romantic guy, you know, but she's got to. And so and she's trying to be responsible, you know. And who ever heard of something like that? I don't think in those terms, you know. I go, man, or dinner, movie, come on, forget. Do it tomorrow, you know. So she's trying to be responsible. So anyhow, by the time we're driving madly toward the movie because we're running, so I'm just fuming. And I just, I just yelled at her. 
Now, I hardly ever yell at her, but I heard myself yelling at her. And I thought, man, this isn't God, you know? <laughs> Jesus would not be yelling at her right now. I'm just kind of, uh, you know, out of fellowship right now. This is me. This is not Jesus, you know? So I caught myself, you know, and I'm fuming, you know, and you can only get, you know, the, the, the adrenaline has to go down a little bit. And so after a little while, you know, I said, boy, I'm sorry. I, I don't know what happened. I just... You know, that was, I, I, you know, I'm not, I, I promise, I, I will just not do that anymore. This is, that was dumb. You know, I resolve, you know, I am not going to just, you know, blow up anymore. Saw the movie, great movie. Go to pick up our son from, you know, a church deal. He gets in the car, starts griping about how his, his rules are so much stricter than everybody else's, you know. Guess what I did? I just hopped on him big time. Two hours before, I resolve I'll never do this again, you know? Boom, what happened? I'll tell you what happened. It was me instead of God. Now, I say that as a way of saying this is just how necessary it is to keep full of God because those attributes will never come by trying to imitate God. There's a difference between being sanctified and being sanctimonious. And the difference is that we are sanctified by being filled with God himself. We are sanctimonious if we try to act like God. It was our original fall that we thought we could be like God without him. That's what the serpent said. Eat this and you'll be like God. And in Adam and Eve's mind, it was, oh, good, we don't have to go through this thing of being with God all the time in order to be like him. All we have to do is have this device and we can be like God without him. Never can happen. Never, ever can happen. We want to be like Jesus. How many of us would love to remind others of who God is just in our daily life? One day I was walking... Uh, home from football practice. Some of you have, some of you have told this, but, but I'll never forget the day. You know, my dad died when I was four years old, so I never really knew him, but my mom always told me stories about him, and in my mind, he was this hero, you know? I'm sure he wasn't this perfect, but he was, he was a hero, and I always, you know, kind of thought, boy, you know, my dad. And so I'd, I'd walk back from football practice, along Main Street, there was this, uh, like, town historian who always sat out on her front porch, and every time I'd walk by from football practice, she'd call me up on the porch to give me a history lesson about my family. She knew everything about everybody's family. She'd say, Joey, Joey Hunter, come up here. Come up here. Oh, man, I, you know, it's football practice. I'm tired, you know. I don't want to do it. But you, you respected your elders. You went up. You sat down. Yes, ma'am. She said, let me tell you about your, you know, 15th cousin on the side of the uncle of, the, you know, and, his, and, his, and she begat something, you know, and, and I'm just uh, dozing off. And it was every day. One day, she called me up. And I go up there, prepared to be bored, you know. You prepare to be bored. <laughs> and she said, I want to tell you something, Joey. She said, I knew your father. I knew Bill Hunter. I watched him grow up as a little boy. I watched him when he was your age. She said, I never see you. But what I'm not reminded of him. You have the same mannerisms, the same language, the same uh, 
movements. Every time I see you, I think of your father. How many of us would love to have that said about our heavenly father? People look at us and say, you know what, I can't, I can't help but think of God when you're around. Not because of who you are, but because of what I see of him in you. And how many of us, going even beyond that, would not like to love one another to such a degree that we're not just our own part of the relationship. More and more as we live, we start to reflect the other person we love. Because that's a part of our love, wanting to honor them. Did you ever notice the longer people live together, the harder they are to tell apart? They start to become like each other. You know why? Because that's what love does. It makes you less of yourself and more like the one you love. It's a way of honoring them. It's a way of respecting them. It's a way of being a host to them. We were made to be hosts. We were made to house God's life and the other's person. Let me, let me just read you a poem. I, I love this poem. And then I'll quit. This is Joyce Kilmer. And it always helps me to think of myself. When I think of the image of God, you know, and I think that it's not our intelligence, it's not our morality, it's not our, our dominion that is, that is reflective of the image of God. It's just our environment, that we're pieces of earth breathing the Spirit of God. Sometimes it helps me more not to think of a person, but to think of a house. And Joyce Kilmer wrote this poem called The House with Nobody in It. Let me just read it to you, or a few stanzas. Whenever I walk to Suffren along the Erie Track, I go by a poor old farmhouse with its shingles broken and black. I suppose I've passed it a hundred times, but I always stop for a minute and look at the house, the tragic house, the house with nobody in it. If I had a lot of money and all my debts were paid, I'd put a gang of men to work with brush and saw and spade, and I'd buy that place and fix it up the way it used to be. I'd find some people who wanted a home and give it to them free. A house that has done what a house should do. A house that has sheltered life. That has put its loving wooden arms around a man and his wife. A house that has echoed a baby's laugh and held up his stumbling feet. Is the saddest sight when it's left alone that your eyes could ever meet. So when I go to Suffern along the Erie Track... I never go by the empty house without stopping and looking back. Yet it hurts me to look at the crumbling roof and the shutters falling apart. For I can't help thinking the poor old house is a house with a broken heart. You were made to shelter life. You were made to be built up because of someone 
living inside of you. Primarily God, but also those that you love. When you're feeling empty and run down, invite somebody in. Pray with me. God, give us the humility not to need to be at the center stage of life, but simply to be the environment for the center stage of life, your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to love others in a way that they can be noticed. Help us to love you in a way that you are all we need. Not what you have for us, not what you could make of us, not what you could give to us, but you are all we need.
time for the benediction. I remind you, we have a prayer team over here. Some of you don't have God living inside, but you would want God living inside. They'll show you how to do that. Some of you have wandered away. As it says in the fifth chapter of James, you've wandered and you've started to depend upon your own uh, life and tried to become independent. And you know how empty it is and destructive it is. And you need to be refilled and you need somebody to pray with you about that. They'd be glad to do that. Or pray with you about whatever issue they ha- you have. That you're their brother and sister. Now may the saving grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit live in us so that others, as they see us, see him. Amen.